Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Martin Guthuru, based in Nairobi, Kenya. Martin is a professional engineer with vast experience in construction, project, and facilities management. His work has spanned roles at a range of companies in the region, including the Cooperative Bank of Kenya, the National Oil Corporation of Kenya, Andela, Nova Pioneer, and Penda Health. He most recently joined Bridge, a community school network, as their director of operations for East Africa. Welcome, Martin. Uh, glad to have you on our show. Really looking forward to uh, digging into your leadership lessons that you've had uh, throughout your career. Uh, welcome to the show. Awesome. So one thing I noticed uh, when I was first looking at, at your profile and your career experience, it seems like everything you've done uh, so far has involved, uh, you know, uh, construction, operations, but across so many different sectors, banking, energy, education, health. Um, you studied civil and structural engineering at university, uh, which, which qualified you for that. Uh, but I'm curious, what initially drew you to that line of work? Uh, and, and did you know or, or did you want that to lead into so many uh, leadership roles that you've ended up um, growing into? Uh, not really. I would love to say at the first was a bit, uh, it was what my career was driving me to. And then along the way, it's a little bit very intentional about trying to experience as many industries as possible. Um, and that's, that's something I would say is really great about civil engineering. It gives you opportunity to transition from, from different industries. You can be one day in oil and industry, because everyone is always doing construction. Uh, but somewhere along the way, uh, I, more and more, when, if, you're doing, if you're doing heavy construction, which is a heavy, a lot of expenditure, you get involved in a lot of the leadership roles, even if sometimes as an advisor, and slowly I transition into an ops role because you're constantly dealing with procurement, you're dealing with supply chain, you're dealing with logistics. So I would say that's how I ended up where I am. Um, along the way, it became very intentional. It's really cool that you're in a profession where you get to choose you know, how you apply that work in a very specific way and that you almost intentionally, it sounds like, uh, went about uh, you know, approaching a bunch of different sectors so that you can apply civil engineering uh, to that. I'm curious if there's a uh, you know, particular sector, uh, you know, whether that's banking, energy, education, or health, that's uh, been your favorite so far. <laughs> um, I will have to say schools. Schools are very interesting. And also oil and gas. I would say those, those, those so far those are my, have been my favorites. And mostly because when you're setting up, um, say, like a school, it's almost a mix of residential and commercial building. So you get to experience a lot of uh, various aspects of construction. Like sometimes you're looking for functionality. Sometimes you're looking for for aesthetics. Um, that is in a good balance. And in terms, in terms of oil and industry, it's just a level of, I really got to apply my engineering knowledge there because most oil and gas, it has very little to do with aesthetics. So it's just pure engineering setting up. And everyone is very, everyone you work with are very focused in terms of delivery within the most, at the most efficient level. So I would say those, those two were the most challenging. And I think I got most of my lessons from, from those two industries. 
Great. So let's talk about kind of team and project management. I, I imagine from an outside perspective that civil and structural engineering involves a lot of project management and cost management and operations. Can you tell me you know, the, about the first time where you started managing a team and working through others? Um, I think for me, there are two levels. My first job, which was a very, it's more or less the lowest technical role within a construction a construction site just being a, a site engineer and i ended up i ended up uh, managing a site with about 250 technicians and workmen uh, i'm fresh out of college i would say that that was definitely my first lesson experiencing in uh, in terms of managing uh, a big group of people and i i would say i i learned a lot in terms of managing well in terms of how, how do you how do you how do you balance what what everyone wants and what the team can actually deliver. Uh, but in terms of an intentional leadership role, I think is when I joined National Oil. That's when I, I, I was a regional engineer and I do clerk of works working under me. And I really had to deliver on my mandate through them because I, I, they, they're the ones who used to go on site and make sure everything is done as per specifications, as much as also having an oversight role. So I would say those, those are my two, one of them was by virtue of being the, the technical person leading the site. Um, because within, within very very tight set rules, uh, there will be very little initiative that I will offer, other than the personal touch in terms of relating with the people and managing and making sure they deliver. Uh, but for National Oil, I think that was more of a, that was a truly leadership role. Like, I had to deliver through, I had to deliver at a technical level through, through the two clock of works we were, we were reporting to. So I said those are my two experiences. That's fascinating. So right out of college, you were essentially given this role where you were overseeing huge construction sites. How did you uh, adjust to that? <laughs> well, that that was um, I think the easiest. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was it was more of learning on the job. Um, and I also had a very great project manager who really set the expectation. And was able to walk me through the basics of how do you how do how do you plan work, uh, from a technical point of view. How do how do you make how do you measure labor force in terms of what people are supposed to deliver? Uh, in terms of relating to people, I would love to say that was that was that was just. I think it's just my personality. I I like building relationships in whatever whatever space I'm in. Um, I um, and that I think that's how I was able to manage. Like I build relationships, relate to them. These are people, all of them are out here to the, they're, they're here today, they're here to work, but they're also here to enjoy the environment they're working in. So building personal relationships, that that really helped me maneuver through that big chunk of, that big responsibility of managing such a huge site. I'm curious what your thoughts are around the difference between, you know, management best practices in an engineering, like a strictly engineering context where there's construction sites and lots of different type of, of specialists in laborers versus a, a more broad operations management role, uh, which you've taken on in recent years at companies like Penda Health and now uh, Bridge Academies. Is there some major differences that you've had to uh, adjust uh, and build into your your management and leadership style. I I think for me, what what really made me get the balance um, after going through, working through constructions, I, I ended up at Corpman for about six years, 
and I had one of the most mentor bosses, I think I could have gotten at that point. Um, this was an untechnical person managing a team full of technical people. And I think what what I was able to do, what, what I really learned from him um, is to is to lead through questions. I don't know if that's the question I'm asking. I'm answering. Um, you you can't be an expert in everything. And this applies both from an engineering context and also from a management. So you have to recognize the people you're working with are the experts. So the best thing you can do for them is to offer a big oversight and the bigger picture look and really rely, rely on them on the on the technical aspect of it. And the only way you can do that is to lead through questions. Like you have to create as much clarity between you and your team. Like this is a technical issue that I want to implement. Walk me through it. What does it involve? Um, what, what, are, what are we trying to achieve? How do we know we're being successful? So I, I got to working in both areas, um, just ask, leading and asking and leading and managing through questions. First of all, creates uh, a feeling that pass, that's, that's, that's somebody you're actually adding, adding value to that particular process, number one. And also you as a leader, you get to get a bigger understanding of various aspects of, of, of both either managing a construction site or managing a, a large operational team. So I'll, I'll say that's, that, that's, that has been something that I felt like a scatter across between both sectors of, of this, of either running an operational an operational department or also managing a construction site. That's a great point. Leading through through questions or, or having almost a coaching approach to, you know, management uh, is definitely a, a great uh, practice and a tip. Uh, it also kind of gives you as a manager an opportunity to learn along the way and not necessarily be uh, so open about all the things that you need to learn uh, along the way. So uh, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. Uh, I'm curious, you know, in this in this world of, uh, you know, technology, particularly software um, enabled companies uh, that are really allowing uh, companies and services to scale uh, faster and faster and, and, and also be able to pivot uh, in a more agile way, um, how that kind of, uh, you know, translates to you know, hard brick and mortar projects that you have uh, often found yourself involved in. Uh, yeah, I see that you were a project manager in building a new facility for Andela. Um, are they still using that? Uh, or I know that they pivoted away uh, from some of uh, their their past training models. Uh, what What is it like to be building physical things in a world that um, you know, may not use uh, physical spaces in the same way anymore? Um, I think that that's a good question. Um, what I would say, and specifically looking at Andela, um, they, they, number one, they, they, have, they have gone fully remote. And I think they have, um, they have really embraced the idea of working remotely for their teams. Um, but my, my thought is there will always be need for, for physical space. Um, and and I think building, if you if you're involved in building, it's how you always have to think, um, be more flexible. Like, what what will change? You won't have the traditional office spaces where you have meeting rooms, you have you have desks, you have kitchens. Um, if you're setting up an office space, if you're, even as a designer, uh, and I get this insight, especially working for Andela, even when they were using the facility, 
it was a season of gigs in a very flexible way. 50% of the time to work off-site. Sometimes are working at night because you're working with clients in America and in Europe. And what happens is, uh, I think it's the building industry that has to adapt. Um, we have to think about flexibility. I see a future where you can have two companies sharing an office space at different hours, or you have an office space where it's more it's more of a or, or, what do you call this holidays. Like you you buy you buy a couple of hours per month to think around flexibility. Yes, like a hot desk. And and don't imagine I'm even thinking about a hot hot office space for for entire organizations where we know as a company we're only going to be in this space for twenty days for this month, and we only book for those spaces and we customize for those 20 days, and then in another 10 days, another company takes over. So even as we build spaces, I think that is where, in terms of design, and that's 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 the direction you need to think about. And COVID has really showed, like, we can be more product, we can be productive working for many. So how do we how do we adapt for that as uh, engineers and architects and builders? So. That's a great point, yeah, around being more resilient and, and flexible and, and designing that from from the beginning. I think there's also the the this dynamic of long term investment, uh, because one of the companies I previously worked for uh, was making investments in uh, essentially large scale crop production uh, for the first time where they were literally making uh, hundreds of millions of dollars investment in greenfield projects that they wouldn't even start to see revenue for seven to 10 years, and it wouldn't be fully profitable uh, for 15 years. And so uh, in a lot of tech-enabled companies and even uh, other service-based uh, operations, you know, it's hard to plan and commit to those types of, of timelines. Um, I I want to you focus a little bit more on on the on bridge that you I know recently just joined. Can you tell me a bit more about uh, what they do and and what you're doing in your role as as the director of operations for East Africa? Um, so about bridge, bridge um, was, was uh, came into being in 2012, um, and they build. Uh, it's purely a social enterprise. That means they build school and try and maximize, maximize value. They work with communities to build schools, um, either in very low-cost, uh, low-income areas, or even in in very, in very, you know, in more more or less remote areas where traditional sort of education will not be feasible. Like you can't go and put up a, a one hundred million shilling school. But work with communities, we put up uh, we put up schools in very tight areas, and we really leverage on technology in terms of delivery of our education. Um, that means we we use these teacher tablets, we load the lessons there, we get the teachers on how they're going to teach the lessons um, on the school. So we are creating a lot of access to education in, in people who will have otherwise not have had that access. Um, yeah, so I would say that is right now we have about us a network of about 120 schools across to, across Kenya and East, Kenya and East Africa, but our presence in Rwanda, Nigeria, India, yeah, and Liberia. So it's it's quite a big network of schools. So how many schools in East Africa? Um, we have 120 schools. So uh, what type of of work uh, kind of day to day do you do, and and what does your your team look like and, and the types of challenges that you 
come across uh, that uh, you kind of have the responsibility to solve for Bridge? All right. Um, I think one one uh, at the RevOps, I lead the supply chain team. Uh, I lead the supply chain, the facilities and assets, uh, the customer care team, um, the IT operations, and also all the revenue and quality assurance team. Uh, this is about six teams. Uh, we have a total headcount of about 36 personnel within the team. Um, and purely what I do is to support making sure everything is running okay. That means I, that means the IT infrastructure is there for the lessons to be taught at the schools. We have safe, we have safe, uh, safe and functional work uh, schools. Um, we make sure any feedback we get from the school is is collected and acted upon uh, within the head, the head office teams. Um, we make sure the lessons are completed and also we make sure the attendance is there across the schools. Uh, so I would say we are definitely the engine that keeps <laughs> things going for the school within this region. Um, as a team, I say I would say one of the big one of the biggest challenges, uh, not even a challenge, one of the big exercises I carry out is to make sure it's, it's time preparedness. Like every time a school opens, we have to provide books, we have to provide uniforms, we have to provide make sure the IT system is okay. Um, so that every and right now I've already gone through two cycles of opening the school since I joined, um, and I would say this is one of the big operational events that we go through um, because it involves us working with production team to to print and deliver books to our warehouse, and then keeping all those books for the 112 academies and make and distributing them before the first day of schools. Um, before we had this constraint timeline, we used to have two months to do that, but now the holidays are just ten days uh, between terms. So you can imagine compressing two months worth of activity into to 10 days. Although that has been my biggest challenge and also something that has really made this job exciting since I joined. Because it's something that has to do. You have to always constantly think about of new solutions and making sure how, how do you make things work. Um, the other challenge is, of course, how do we make sure, how do we repair the schools and make sure they're safe within that, such a short time. Um, Again, we only have 10 days to carry out any major repairs that we might need to do on those 112 schools. Uh, just project managing that whole process um, has been a challenge. Uh, and also, us being able to do it on one cycle makes it very confident that we'll do it in the next as we open time two. Um, again, a lot of back planning. Um, just thinking through back on what, on what do we want on day one of school. Um, and prioritizing, do we do this job, do we not do this job. How do you make sure you make the, the materials and the and the workmen available for those works to be done and completed on time? So those are two. I would say school opening has been one of the big challenges I've been facing. I've, we've been running with. Uh, and after we've been successful so far, we've been successful in term one, which built confidence we should be able to do it in the same constraint timeline, even as term two looms. It's really interesting. Uh, from your initial time at Bridge. What are your initial impressions on the ability for this global company uh, to operate these private uh, institutions, these academic institutions? Are you, what, what kind of improvements are you able to achieve uh, when it comes to the actual school management and the student experience? Is, is the private sector able to deliver of like uh, much, much better um, end user experience from, from what you've seen so far? I, I will say yes. Um, and I will, I will confidently say that because 
our particular system is actually being adopted by other uh, like Edo, Edo State in Nigeria. They have actually contracted bridge to deliver education to most of their public schools there. So I will say bridge having done this for 20, since 2012 uh, and now they're going to a new phase of partnering with other schools, with government actually to deliver. And so that's a very big testament in the success of it, of being able, of the, of a private, private sector being actually being able to implement education at scale, especially in a resource constrained environment. Yeah, I know it's a bit of a controversial topic in some circles, but uh, it, it does sound very promising that um, country governments and district governments have started to partner with companies like Bridge to to really make their uh, school systems more efficient and effective, which is uh, great to see. And obviously offering more options to families uh, in terms of of how they can best uh, invest uh, in their children's education, especially making it uh, affordable, is obviously um, a great uh, service and, and highly impactful. I'm curious. Uh, you know, I imagine if your if your operations role is overseeing over a hundred schools, uh, you do have a lot of people working under you. Um, you, I stand corrected if if you're doing all of this yourself, but I'm curious how you uh, balance uh, making sure that you are making sure at a high level everything is staying on track, while also making sure that details uh, are getting done correctly. Like you mentioned, these 10-day holidays that you had to squeeze in any major renovation into. Um, how do you balance uh, the the two things? High level versus uh, you know the details at each of these 100 plus schools? Um, I, will, I will definitely say number one, I, I don't do this all by myself. I have a very capable team of about eight managers who I work with. Um, and it, one, one, of the, one of the things I really learned from my previous job is to, is to, is to this, is some, this is something I really struggled with at the beginning of my leadership journey was delegation, number one. Um, but now it's, it's something that I really, I really, I have really embraced. Um, I had to get some hard feedback along the way for me to get to that point for my career. Um, so definitely I work through delegation, but something that really works and bridges perfectly when working with is, is making decisions through new data. Um, having this such a big network of school, you generate a lot of data and, and also being so every land on, on, uh, every land on, on, on IT. That means we get a lot of data points that we can work with. Um, one of the one of the big one, I think one of the ways that we are able to do, and I'm able to deliver my job. Number one is to see through all through all the data and establish what is key to enable us make the decision. Um, and once you come up with a strategy based on the data that you have, uh, working through your teams to deliver to deliver on that mandate. Um, I want, one one of the challenges, one of the things I will say is selling everyone has to everyone everyone has to be first of all sold in on the on the data that you're getting that is correct uh and the decisions or assumptions you're making towards delivery against those data <laughs> like everyone has to be sold in so we have quite a bit of uh within my team we we try and have a sync every single month every single week and in the course of the two weeks i make sure i've synced with everyone personally we have very robust discussions about the data about the decisions we're making around them, and uh, we and we really question each other assumptions before we move forward. And based on that, I think once we come out from those meetings, we are very aligned on how we're going to take, on the approach we're going to take. 
uh, we're very clear on the assumptions and we're very clear on how we are going to make sure those assumptions are correct or not before we move to implementation. Um, that, that's, what, that's what has really helped us deliver on such a huge scale, uh, where you can't, you, can't be in, uh, you can't be in all those one grant one schools. So you have to figure out how do I make, how do I make the right decision that I'm doing the right job in the school and how do, I make, how do I confirm that has been done in that school and that now they have a safe working environment. So I would say that that's how we've been able to achieve uh, reliance on data um, and also just a lot of team effort and team consultation for us to get as well. I'm glad to hear that you're so data-driven in your decision-making, yet also uh, acknowledge that you know sometimes the data for a number of reasons might not be you know, giving the full picture and that you do have discussions with your team to make sure that everyone agrees with the data or if, if otherwise uh, get to kind of dig into it further. Uh, I'm curious if there's a, an, an interesting example of when the data was telling you something, but then when you spoke with your team, you ended up uh, learning something new and making a different type of decision than you would have otherwise. Um, I wouldn't say at bridge, but uh, Tender is also very highly learned on data. And we, especially, I, I was I was handling expansion uh, at Penda Health, um, and definitely decisions on where to open to open a clinic. Those are always very <laughs> those those are very interesting discussions because people had very many data points on how to justify a particular location uh, from food traffic, from uh, the level of economic activity within that particular area. Um, and definitely, even by the time the decision has finally been made. Uh, we couldn't have all, all the data for us to make that decision. So there's always a period of where we, now we are trying to prove our data points to say, did we make the right decision in regards to this? And I, I will say, I, I've been over, I was overruled on some locations. Uh, there are some locations that were pushed through and turned out were not the best, but that does not mean, the good thing if you're having these discussions, everyone is clear on what you think might not be like, if, if I say this, uh, this, this, this is what's supposed to happen, and I will provide a data point for that. That means when you implement and you found that I was wrong, at least since that discussion has already been had, already at the back of our minds, we have corrective measures on how to make that particular thing work. Um, without going into details, I will say definitely going, go, data is not fully reliant. You can't, until you actually implement, you will know if you're right or wrong. The good question is, you. Be, be aware of where those points are, or those particular points are a bit of conflict and make sure those are the proof points that you have the moment you either launch or move forward that decision. That's such a great point uh, because you know, you'll never have the full uh, information when making some of these decisions. And like you mentioned at, at Penda Health, taking new locations for, uh, I'm guessing, uh, different uh, health service points is so, such an important decision. So it can definitely be, uh, you know, scary to be making these types of important decisions without the full information. But that's kind of all you all you can do. I remember also working uh, at a company where we would have to open up new sales territories based on, you know, some initial field scouting data, some government, uh, you know, farmer data and give a sales territory to a field officer who might be new, might be uh, an existing staff member, but knowing that, you know, deep down, 
you might be giving them a sales territory, sales territory that's not setting them up for success, which might have implications for the job. So it's definitely uh, tough, uh, tough situations to navigate around that, especially at scale when you can't go and, and you know, see everything uh, yourself. I think in every single business operation, you can never get 100% information. As long as you're doing a new thing, there'll always be a percentage that's an unknown. Um, and that's, all, that's, that's the great thing about working with startups or people who are breaking new ground. You get to explore those gray areas and see are they true or not. So that's, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed working for startups or companies going through quick growth. Definitely. Um, I noticed that you've worked at, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, seven companies over the past 17 years. Um, are there any good habits uh, that you've developed uh, maybe around managing your own personal transition from one company to the next? I would say one, one, of, one of the things that I always make sure is don't leave. I, like all, all, I, I have a very good relationship with all the companies that I've worked for. Um, and I think one of the good habits when, when leaving a company, make sure you don't leave any loose, loose ends. And that means if you have any ongoing work streams, make sure like they'll run smoothly when you leave. Um, try as much as possible to build your team uh, when you're in that particular space. Uh, especially if you're in a startup and you're introducing new things, just to build continuity. Um, that's, I would say that's a good habit. Always make sure you don't leave any unfinished work streams. Uh, always try and build continuity within any time you get into a team. Um, you never know you might be there, you might be in that role for five years, you might be in that role for one year. One of the big things you really have to think of the moment you come into that space is how, how do I build continuity within this role. Uh, and that's, that's a lesson that most companies have, have really had to face in view of COVID. A lot of companies did layoffs. Um, a lot of companies had a lot of people being sick for months out. So always as a manager and either if you're going to that space for one year if you're in a fixed contract term for two years for one year continuity must be top of your mind uh, you will you know you will always not be in that role so you have to think about how, how do i keep things that are started or things that i get going going even when i'm not here that's great advice uh as we wrap up uh, i'm curious if there are any other uh, either leadership learnings that you've had along the way uh, or any trends that you're seeing in, in some of the sectors that you've worked in recently that are maybe uh, being overlooked or underappreciated? Um, I think having worked in a corporate space and then in a startup space, I think one of the, what I feel might be underappreciated is the use of data. Um, like I said, startups are usually because it's a new thing, they are generating data and using that data to make decisions. But look at corporates that have been there for years and years. Uh, sometimes they stagnate, and I feel it's because they don't utilize the data that they already have in terms of projecting what's going to happen in the future, looking at trends. So I feel like that's that's probably something that can be embraced, by especially companies that have been there for long. Uh, if, if only they could Utilize, you've, you've been there for years, you've generated tons and tons of data. It's very easy for you to build trends and actually project what's going to be happening in the next two or five years 
So I feel like that's something that has been really underutilized in the field and in, in whatever industry. Um, the other item that I, and just looking at my career path, is being very open to don't I always say don't 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 don't, don't be a, try not try and not try as much as possible not to be an expert but to be a, a generalist especially if you're going into into leadership roles. Uh, generalist makes that means you can be able to make decisions in whatever environment as long as you know you have the you know what you generally you're here to make things work. You have experts working under you. Utilize their utilize their their knowledge number one, and also run that through a very general point of view to make a decision. The moment as an engineer, if I go into a like right now, if I'm an engineer and I start pushing my my engineering knowledge <laughs> into into facilities, that means I've already constrained my entire team to thinking like an engineer. But if I'm a generalist, that means I can take views from different people and make a decision based on that. I feel like that that is something that people should try to be more generalists than experts, especially in leadership positions. That's such good advice. Uh, I'm also curious, I, I once had a, a venture capitalist here in, in Mauritius tell me that his preferred entrepreneur is someone who has worked maybe 10 to 15 years uh, in the same type of a role or sector, um, and and is ready to kind of spot, uh, you know, new ways of doing uh, that type of role. So I guess in your case, it would be uh, engineering and operations. I know that you just recently joined Bridge and have uh, likely years to come and, and lots of impact to be uh, had there. Uh, but what is your future career path look like? How are you going to uh, leverage and make the most of this incredible experience that you've had across so many sectors, uh, but but within the same kind of vertical, you could say. Mm. Um, I, I think if you look at my profile, I I recently I was very focused into engineering, and I think when I was at Health, I made the leap into into operations. Um, and I really I really feel like right now. I'm, I'm in a very at home place. Like I feel like this is where this this is the roles that I should explore in uh, in terms of operations. How do you get companies going? How do you keep things everything efficient? I feel like this is the path I am right now. More of a, more of an ops uh, ops person. Uh, construction and facilities will always be close at heart. So if I can be able to do ops and also have a role within any form of construction expansion, or or facilities management within that particular role. I feel like I will definitely that that will definitely add more. That that will definitely be an add-on to whatever ops role that I'm going to be to be in, especially in this space. Um, I will say Bridge has a lot of potential. Um, what they are doing and how and their and their future outlook. Definitely feel like there's a lot of space for me within this particular company to explore my new my new my new the, my new opportunities in operations. That's great. Uh, well, I look forward to following your journey, and uh, I'm sure that in just a short time period, you'll be, you know, uh, running operations for not, you know, hundreds but thousands of schools uh, across the region uh, as as uh, the, the school network grows. So, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story, and I really appreciate your time. <music>